You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 69 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Squirrel Tap. Wyoming Punk's Squirrel Tap recently released their debut album entitled Cover Your Nuts. It has been well received with an overwhelming opinion of It Doesn't Completely Suck. Actually, the response has been very good, so good that they are back sponsoring another episode of that one time on tour. You can check out their entire album, Cover Your Nuts, available on all the major streaming sites. And if you message them on Facebook or or on Instagram at Squirrel Tap Band and mention this podcast, they'll hook you up with a t-shirt and CD combo for only $20, free shipping in the United States. So, we're going to get right to it. Here's their new single, Too Many Yugans.
Hey, this is Scott with Pulley, and you're listening to that one time on tour. everybody out there in podcast land what is going on as always my name is chris winnie and i am your host for that one time on tour this is my podcast where i get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry and we have an awesome conversation i want to say thank you so much for checking out last week's episode with tom from the band big wig and his also he has a new project called Tom Petta and the World's End. It's a bluegrass project. So thank you so much for listening to that episode. We did really well. We charted all over the place. Tom was such a great guy, and I can't wait to have him back in the future when Big Wig puts out a new record. And uh, this week is awesome as well. I got to sit down with Mr. Scott Radinsky, singer for the band Poli. He used to be in 10-Foot Pole. He was a major league baseball player. I mean... This guy has done some cool stuff. He's a skater. He he owned a skate park. He, he man, we just talked about all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, he's a professional athlete. He's a professional musician, and he's just a professional nice dude. We had a really good time, and I know you guys are going to enjoy it. I've had a lot of requests to get Scott on the show, so I'm glad that I could actually pull this off. I know there's a lot of our Australian listeners that are really stoked that Scott is on the show. So before I get to my conversation with Scott. I do need to tell you guys about my sponsors, the band at the beginning, Squirrel Tap out of Wyoming. They're awesome. Check out Squirrel Tap. Their new record, Cover Your Nuts, is on all of the streaming sites, so go check them out. And you can get a really cool combo pack if you want. Hit them up on Facebook or Instagram, and they'll take care of you. I need to tell you about Merge 4. I talk about it all the time. They make socks. They make the best socks on the planet. And if you sign up right now at our Patreon to be a patron of this podcast, you can win some Merge for swag. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash TOTOT podcast. Get involved at the $5 level. The contest is going to be happening before October. I swear to my patrons, you're going to win some cool stuff for Merge 4. So if you want to buy your own stuff for Merge 4, just go on over to merge4.com or hit them up on Instagram or Facebook or wherever. I need to tell you about Permanence Tattoo Gallery. It's the only place in central Indiana to get tattooed. It is on Meridian Street in downtown Anderson, Indiana. Jacob Harrison, past guest of the show, my tattoo dude, is the owner. I love that dude. I love his whole family. I love everybody at the shop. You guys need to go over there and get some ink. You will not be sorry. Just tell them that I sent you. Maybe they'll add a little something onto the top of your tattoo. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Okay, so that's it for the sponsors. If you want to get involved, you want to become a sponsor, you've got a band or a company, please shoot me an email, tototpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on every social media site known to man at tototpodcast. It's really nice. The patrons of the show and the companies and the bands, they really keep this thing going. 
There are some costs that are accrued with doing the podcast and you guys, you guys take that pressure off of me so I can keep continuing to give you good content for free. So thank you guys so much. Make sure to check out Squirrel Tap. They're a great band. They sent me a really cool shirt with a little squirrel and a knife. And I never knew this. Maybe it's like a, a regional thing, but Squirrel Tap, I'm like, wow, that's a really cool name. And I checked out Squirrel Tap on Google, and it actually means when you like hit a dude in the nuts. So very clever name, guys, but I love Squirrel Tap. So check them out and support them, as well as Merge 4 and Permanence Tattoo Gallery. So for today's segment, I am going to do a TOTOT radio segment, and uh, we're going to get to it right now. So roll the theme music. On this edition of TOTOT Radio, I'm going to give you a little history lesson about my career in music. I've played in and toured with many bands, uh, a band that I met actually back on Warp Tour in 2004 was a band called Underminded. I was playing with Brazil, who I've had on the show many times, and uh, we were sharing the smart, the smart punk stage with under Oath, Underminded, A Wilhelm Scream. Man, there were so many great bands on the smart punk stage that year. It was insane. But uh, this band, Underminded, from San Diego, California, they were on Kung Fu Records. They were building the stage every day. And from building the stage, their payment was to get to play a set on the set, on the stage. And I got to be very close with the guys. And after I got home from that tour... I got a call and an email and all kinds of stuff, and they needed somebody to go on tour and play bass. And it was going to be all up and down the West Coast, all through Canada, and then into Europe. So I got a bass. I learned all their stuff. I went on tour with them. Um, I had a little family emergency about midway through the tour. So after the United States West Coast run, I actually had to fly home. They found a guy in Canada to actually go with them to Europe. It really bummed me out, and it made me sad that I was not able to go on the entire tour. But I did get to play a lot of great shows on the West Coast with this band. And it was one of the most fun bands I've ever played in. The kids were crazy. There was this one kid. I think we were in either Pomona or Ventura. And uh, the kid was, like, right in my face. And he was like, you better be good. You better be good. And, like, I grabbed him during, like, the breakdown and, like, like licked his face. Like, it was so punk rock. It was just, it was so much fun. And the songs are just heavy. And the singer, Nick Martin, who now plays guitar in Sleeping With Sirens, he was the guitarist and vocalist for Underminded. And he did some stuff with Chiodos as well. And, man, he has the most guttural, intense scream vocals that you've ever heard in your entire life. It's almost like they're melodic. Like a, and if on a future episode, I talked to Bradley from Chiodos and we talked about Nick's vocals. And even though he's screaming, there's actually like notes in the screams. It's, it's, it's really, really great. And I wanted to highlight this band. They're not around anymore. 
and uh, there's not really a lot going on as far as social media stuff because they're not a band. But they put out a record, uh, I believe, the first record was on Kung Fu called Hail Un-American. And then they put out another record on maybe Rise Records. I'm not sure what the second record was on. But man, I'm going to play a song called Bring On The Flood. And it was on their debut full length on Kung Fu Records in 2004, Hail Un-American. It was so much. This is one of my favorite songs to play with these guys. I only played with these guys for like two weeks. We got stuck up in Redding, California in a snowstorm. It was awesome. (laughs) So I'm going to go ahead and play it. This is Underminded with Bring on the Flood from Hail Un-American. They're all over YouTube. They're all over the streaming sites. You guys need to check them out. And check out Nick's new band. I mean, it's duh. Like you haven't heard of Sleeping with Sirens. They're like one of the bigger bands around right now. And hopefully Nick's going to be on the show in the future. But this is it. I got the tour with these guys. It was the most fun ever. And uh, this is Underminded with Bring on the Flood.
So there it was, Undermined with Bring on the Flood from their 2004 debut full length on Kung Fu Records, Hail on American. Make sure to check them out. Like I said, it was so much fun playing with them. And I just remembered, the funny thing is, I, I think about that band very frequently because on that tour, we actually got to stay at Joe Escalante's house, the guy that owns uh, Kung Fu that is also in the Vandals. And we stayed at his house in California and he had a basement that uh, he had so much Saved by the Bell, like merchandise and stuff that I'd never even seen, like board games and all kinds of crazy stuff. And I'm a big Saved by the Bell fan growing up. So I always thought that was really cool. And uh, the guys at Kung Fu also gave us all like toiletry bags, these blue toiletry bags with orange Kung Fu Records logos printed on the toiletry bags. And that was in 2005, and I still, to this day, use that toiletry bag. It's the best, most durable, well-made toiletry bag I've ever had in my life. And if you guys out there, you know, you go on the road, you're touring, you know a lot about toiletry bags. You have to have all your stuff when you're on the road. But I still use this to this day in my bathroom right now under my sink with all of my head shaving equipment that I use and my beard trimming equipment is in my Kung Fu Records toiletry bag. So Joe and everybody at Kung Fu, thank you for the toiletry bag. You know, it's 14 years later or whatever, and I'm still, still using it. So thank you very much. So I hope you guys enjoyed that installment of TOTOT Radio. Check out Underminded. They're amazing. Check out Nick's new band, Sleeping With Sirens. I mean, I know you've heard of them. They're huge. Uh, and that's it. So we're going to get right into my conversation right now. This is a good one. I had a blast talking to Scott. And this is it. Mr. Scott Rudinsky, major league relief pitcher and amazing vocalist for Pulley. And he used to be in 10 foot pole as well. You can't beat it, man. So here it is. My conversation with Mr. Scott Rudinsky. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Mr. Scott Rudinsky from Poli. How are you today, Scott? Good. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing awesome, man. It's a it's a big honor to have you on the show today. I've been a fan for a long time. Well, thank you. Um, I'm a I'm a fan as well. Awesome. Well, thanks. <laughs> well, uh, I know you just got back like last night or yesterday afternoon from Europe. You guys were over there playing some shows, doing the punk rock holiday over in Slovenia. How did the tour go for you? Um, you know, it went well. Uh, we just had four gigs. We we started off with a festival in Montreal, and then uh, a couple days later, played a festival in Spain, which was really cool. And then uh, we had a little bit of problem uh, while on the plane. We were boarded on our on our plane to uh, to play a festival in Belgium called Brack Rock, and I don't know, maybe a half an hour after we all got boarded and everything, they they took everybody off the plane. We were in a small little airport and. Oviedo, Spain, Bilbao, Spain. And um, we were on our way to Brussels. And next thing you know, we were sitting back in the terminal and we had no way of getting to where we needed to go. And we were stuck for an entire day. So the, you know, the airline had a couple hundred passengers and it was us and and actually a couple other bands that that missed, they were on the same plane as us that missed it as well. So we kind of we kind of got bummed on that, and we missed that show. And then uh, we were lucky enough to get out the next day and um, make it to Slovenia for for the for the punk rock holiday show. But it was a bummer missing uh, missing Brack Rock. Yeah, I know. Were you guys hanging out with Good Riddance? Because I know that they had some issues as well. 
It, that's exactly who we were with. Yeah. Um, and I want to say no fun at all, man from Sweden, but, yeah. but good riddance was on the plane with us and they actually missed the show as well. They were supposed to play, play the, you know, that same date in Belgium. And then they, uh, they actually rented a car. Yeah, I was watching on Facebook because I'm friends with Russ and all those guys and Luke and and Russ is going to be on the show in the future. And I was just like, man, that, that's got to suck so bad to go all that way and then miss that festival because Brack Rock is amazing. Yeah, it was a it was a bummer. The, the real the, it got stressful in the airport. You know, we were there was, you know, they had, you know, Chuck and Chuck and me were in line waiting in line to 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 see what was going to happen with rebooking the flights we're looking at the board on the wall and there's only like eight outgoing flights for the rest of the day in this airport so the reality of of making it was was not happening and then it was coming down to like well are we going to get out tomorrow and that was uh that was like the biggest concern fortunately for us we had a day off so we had a little bit of leeway in time they they uh they were going to Germany the next night and they didn't want to miss that gig. So they rented a car and just, uh, I think they blazed it to Madrid and yeah. figured it out from there. But yeah, I think this must be the, the year of bad travel stuff because I know no effects had to like charter a plane and MXPX had to charter a plane. Like it seems like everybody's having travel issues this year. Wow, lucky for those guys chartering planes. Yeah, we're not at that. Le- we're not at that level. But, well, no, uh, I don't really know if they're at that <laughs> level either because they were bitching on Facebook about how expensive it was. But I, they, uh, they wanted to get to the show because I think No Effects was in Montreal and their flight got canceled and they had to make it back for that last warp tour spot out in uh, out in Mountain View. Yeah, I'm sure they had a little help with theirs. Um, yeah, uh, we we uh we were just, we were just disappointed, you know, to, to go out there and only play, you know, a handful of shows and to miss, you know, one of the better ones kind of sucked, but I'll tell you what, you'd mentioned travel. I don't think we had one single flight from when we left LA to go to Montreal and and from Montreal to Europe and all the connecting flights in between there. I I swear every single one of them was delayed somehow, some way it was, it was brutal, brutal, brutal travel. So, uh, what's the longest like flight you've ever been on? Like not getting off the plane, not connecting or anything like what's, what's the longest amount of time you've been on an airplane? Do you know? Either Australia or Japan, whatever one's farther, you know, I, I know we flew to Australia and did a, did a tour in Australia and then went on to Japan from there. And then from Japan came home. So whichever one's longer is the longest flight I've ever been on. Well, 15 I, hours or something. I tell you, if you ever get the chance to, I talked about it on this podcast many times, but uh, when I was playing with the Ataris, we did a tour of South Africa and mm-hmm. we were in London and we left Heathrow and flew direct south for 26 hours and never got off the plane and, and landed in Johannesburg. It was the longest, longest flight of my entire life, man. Yeah. No, thanks to that, man. <laughs> that, that I thought yesterday, just sitting on the plane from London to home, 10 and a half hours was a struggle, but I couldn't even imagine over a complete day. Yeah, That's it was, crazy. Well, I, I you wow. know, you, you go to sleep, you wake up, you eat, you watch a movie, you go to sleep and you do that for an entire day. And then you finally get off the plane oh my God. and you don't even cross a time zone. So like that time is real time. You know what I mean? I didn't even realize you could travel that far by plane. It, dude, it's insane. I just we we did it. We flew on Virgin, and it was the first time I'd ever flown on Virgin. It was a very nice, very nice airline. But man, yeah. it was just it. You just feel like it's never going to end. It's like your own personal hell. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, you'll never do that again, I'm sure. Well, I mean, I'd like to go back to South Africa. I just maybe I'll try to find a different route where I can get off and stretch my legs a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, make it a 13-hour flight and then travel another 13 the next day or something. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, man. Yeah. So uh, on this podcast, we like to I like to dig a little deeper than some of the podcasts. 
I, I know that uh, you've had two careers. You've been in Major League Baseball as a relief pitcher, and you've also, you know, been the singer of an amazing punk rock band. So when you were young, I, I know you were probably playing, playing baseball your whole life, but when did punk rock come into the picture for you? Um, you know, it came into the picture for me somewhere around the summer before I went into ninth grade. So I don't know, somewhere around 81 ish. Okay. And, um, yeah, I got into it. I I'd started playing drums. I, I got a drum set when I was in seventh grade. So I, so I started getting interested in music and I think, uh, I think we were playing like some ACDC or something in the garage, whatever it was. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden we heard, I heard, you know, I heard like fear and the circle jerks and black flag and all this amazing, like stuff that was going on right in my backyard. Yeah. And, and, um, instant, just like fell in love with it. It was just instant, you know, I, I didn't have a whole lot of issues growing up at home, but there was just something about that style and the, the anger and the, the energy and just the, you know, being different. I guess I, I, I kind of wanted to be, be an outcast or something, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. so instantly, instantly attracted to that music. And, um, I mean like overnight with the next day we were, we were, you know, we were rehearsing like cover songs. We were playing fear and we were, you know, we were playing all these cover songs and punk songs and we were like a punk band automatically went to the goodwill, bought a bunch of clothes and, you know, that was all, we all shaved our heads and, you know, it was like overnight for us, these little suburban kids. Cause it was, it was kind of just starting to get out in the suburbia at that time. Yeah. And, um, so it, it was cool, man, to, to, to like, uh, experience that, you know? When, so, you know, becoming a major league baseball player, like I said, I know you've probably been playing, doing sports your whole life. Now, was there ever that like dichotomy of, you know, the punk rock thing didn't quite fit that or, or, or was it just kind of, it was your life. You liked both the same, like, like how was that for you growing up? Like having that dichotomy of sports and then this whole other like counterculture kind of thing. Well, I mean, for me, it was my life. Yeah. Um, obviously like, uh, it wasn't, accepted in the music scene necessarily you know I, I never really fit the mold of a jock i never really considered myself a jock yeah. i just i played baseball and, and I, I liked it and, and i happened to be good and and i i thought it was easier than working at a regular job yeah. and so <laughs> you know totally man. um i was gonna take that and, um so f for the first i'd say half of the whole music baseball thing it was i was i really had a I wasn't very open about it. You yeah. know, a, a sports guy would want to talk about my rock band and I'd look at him and go, come on, man. <laughs> like, you don't know, you don't know anything about it. And then, yeah. and then a, a music person would ask something about baseball, but I would kind of shy away from that because I didn't, I didn't really want to like put the rest of the guys in a band or whatever I was in at the time. I didn't want that to be, you know, the headline or to attract the attention away from the music. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that it really kind of wasn't accepted but then all of a sudden, I don't know if it was like around the age of the internet in the mid nineties or somewhere around 2000, then all of a sudden it was cool, you know, <laughs> and like everybody wanted to talk about it and it was totally accepted. And there was all these fans, these guys I knew that were, you know, they were into baseball or you know, these music. Every musician seems to like sports, but it just, it wasn't talked about. And, and like I said, then all of a sudden, like one day it just became cool and, and, uh, didn't really have to try to hide it a whole lot, but I, I definitely was living two separate lives, at least 
I don't want to say in front of a camera, but you know what I'm saying? Like as far as the portrayal, um, both, both careers are like, you know, kind of in the public eye. So it's kind of weird. Like they're both out there in the public, but they are kind of like this, this double life, like this double agent kind of thing going on. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, and like I said, I was more, I, I wasn't so worried about hiding music from the baseball people. I didn't want to promote the band on the sports page. Yeah. But I, I definitely was more conscious of trying to keep it under under the hat, so to speak, so to speak uh, with, with the music world. I yeah. didn't really want to talk about baseball a whole lot. Well, yeah, I, I saw, uh, you know, in preparation for this interview, I watched that documentary, uh, Baseball Punks. And what it, mm-hmm. what, and you were a big part of that documentary. And what it really opened my eyes to is that I've always, you know, liked sports and I've been into punk rock and a lot of my other friends did as well. But it seemed like it seems like baseball is a pretty you know, liberal kind of forward thinking sport, whereas some of the other ones aren't. So I can, I can kind of see baseball and punk going hand in hand. And I never really thought about that till I watched that documentary. Yeah. You know, it, you're, I, it's true. I mean, it's not like a, like you think of like a, a, a jock, you know, for me, I think of like some football meathead kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've yeah. never really met a whole lot of those type of guys in baseball. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, Sure. Why, why shouldn't it go along with music? I mean, there's, there's, I think there's more music played in a sports event than there is at an actual gig. I mean, the first time time. that I heard the Ramones was at a basketball game. So when I was really young, they, so I mean, yeah, yeah, that's right. They play, I think it goes hand in hand and I wish more people kind of, kind of agreed with that, you know? I guess it depends who you are and, (laughs) and, and, and the maturity, the maturity of the person, you know, like I said, it's, it seemed to be a lot, a lot more acceptable over the years. So it's, it really hasn't been something I've had to be embarrassed about or yeah. really try to, you know, sidestep. So when you, you were young, you were playing drums, you had this band, you guys found black flag and all this stuff. Was that first band scared straight or was that, what was the first band? What was it? What was it called? Yeah, that was the first band. It was, um, it was scared straight. And I think it became an official band right around ninth grade. We uh we actually played our junior high school at lunchtime. Like they'd bring bands into play, you know, in the in the quad on like this little amphitheater. That's awesome. Our, yeah. So my dad he packed up this uh this car and he brought all the gear and and we loaded it up the day before and then he drove it down there and we all got a pass to get out to class before lunch and we set up the stage and and uh, it was killer, man. I mean, it was cool to play to play because uh, there wasn't a whole lot of kids our age, you know, in our class that were you know, actually in bands. So it was cool to like have the balls to stand up on stage. You know, this is, like I said, this is early eighties Yeah, and we're, and we're playing, you know, we're playing like group sex or, or, or you know, <laughs> wild in the streets, whatever it was, um, in front of, in front of our, our schoolmates, which was kind of cool, man. And, and, uh, so that was like our first real gig. And then, uh, we entered this at this local roller rink they had during the summer before we went into 10th grade. So it was kind of around that same time we did this battle in the bands thing and we just killed it on, on all these other professional bands trying to make a living. All these older guys, you know, that were like journey bands and yeah. you know, all these rockers from, you know, LA and it was a thousand dollar prize. And, and here's these like little snot nosed kids. And, you know, we had all our friends there, of course, and everybody's slamming and stage diving and the place went crazy. And, uh, and we won. 
So that was actually like our first payout. We made a thousand bucks at a battle of the bands. That's awesome. And then, man. Uh, and then I think it was like ten years before we ever made any money again. You know? <laughs> so I saw, I saw when I was you know looking up stuff for this interview that uh, that original band, the original name was SOF before it was Scared Straight. What does SOF stand for? Um, we had this Soldiers of Fortune magazine, Secure Our Future. We didn't, we didn't really have a skaters, you know. Yeah, it yeah. was like we didn't have, a, we really didn't have a. That that name was what seemed like an eternity. It was probably a two month name, you <laughs> okay. know, before it became Scared Straight. Yeah, well, that's cool. So Scared Straight, you guys, you know, later on as as the band progressed, you guys did a lot of stuff with Mystic Records and whatnot. Before you guys, you know, changed the name to Ten Foot Pole, like what was the what was the purpose for changing the name to Ten Foot Pole? I mean, both names to me are pretty cool. What was the purpose for that? Well. You know, being part of a whole mystic thing and, and the Nardcore scene and, and just, it was a little bit of a different sound at the time. Yeah. Uh, when, when, when we changed the name to 10 foot pole somewhere around 92, um, we actually recorded, uh, uh, an album called Swill under the name Scared Straight. And before the record or actually after the record was pressed during that process, we decided to change the name. So we ended up taking these little stickers that we hand wrote ourselves and slapped them on top of the CD and, and, and with the name Tenth of Pole. Um, the purpose was, I think it was just trying to, we realized that the music was different and the representation was different. So we, we were just trying to go for a fresh start and not, not be associated with what we had done the previous 10 years. Okay. And, and the scene, the scene was kind of starting to break out. So we, we were just looking for something fresh, something new. So what was the process like for you guys? I mean, I know you said, you know, you worked with Mystic quite a bit, put out a lot of releases. What was the process for signing to Epitaph? How did you guys come to their, like, to their knowledge? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, well, we did that record swill okay. uh, on our own and it was actually supposed to, we were trying to get it put out on, on fat, but, uh, Mike just ended up distributing it for us and, and not actually putting it on the label, which was, ended up being better for us. And, uh, I just put one in an envelope and I sent it to Brett and, you know, had a hand, little handwritten letter. And I think a few days later he called me and I could hear in the background, I could hear the CD going and he was only on the third song. He's like, hey man, what's up? This is Brett from Epitaph. He's like, I, I, I got your CD. I really dig it. I want to, I want to put out a record with you guys. And I was like, <laughs> that's crazy. awesome. Yeah, and that's how, that's how it worked. <laughs> Did you have any like communication before that with Brett, or was it just like, oh my gosh, Brett from Epitaph and Bad Religions calling my house? Like, how did that feel? Oh, it was it was awesome. Um, you know, we played some shows with him. There was some familiarity there, and and, and he actually went to high school. Uh, him and all those guys went to high school or junior high with the drummer in our band at the time. So, you know, we name dropped a little bit, you know, who was in the band and, and, uh, you know, they were, we're relatively local. They're only a you know a handful of miles away from us. Yeah. Like I said, we, we had played gigs before with them and, and Jay was always cool to us and helping us out. So there was some familiarity there. And, um, but it was, it was incredible to get a phone call from him. And when I think of 
how many CDs and cassettes the guy must get on his desk per day. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be crazy now. Yeah. Now it's probably just emails with links to Spotify. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So, you know, you guys signed to Epitaph and, uh, you end up leaving the band a couple years later, maybe, uh, or maybe right around that time due to your baseball schedule. Now, was that, was it because the other guys didn't really understand the whole two career thing or, or did you just not have a lot of time for the band at that point? Well, we put out Rev on Epitaph and, you know, remember at this point, now this is like, what, this is 93 or so, yeah, 94. I'd been playing baseball since 86. Yeah. So it was definitely, it was nothing new to the band and, and, and I really don't want to like, you know, my side or their side, but bottom line was the record rev came out and, 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 and opened up this door of opportunity that we had never, never had as a band. And I think those guys saw that and they just kind of wanted to, they wanted to go for it. So I got a phone call one day and they basically said, it wasn't even like, they just told me this. They said, Hey, we're going to continue the band without you. We're willing to stop doing what we're doing for four months while you're home if you want to start a new band and we'll be the musicians and uh that's just the way it's going to be wow and i said really uh, that that sucks so I, I ultimately i guess i don't want to say kicked out but yeah i'll, I'll be nice about it and say i was asked to leave my okay. own band and so uh the next day i i started pulley and it was just another simple phone call to brett and next thing you know we had a record you know so but there was just a lot of I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead, man. I, I want to hear what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say there was, you know, the, 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 the 10 pole record, just that rev record just brought it out in all of us. And, you know, I'd, I'd written a lot on, on, on that album and, and had a lot of music coming out of me. So to, this was like, like I said, it was the middle of baseball season. I think it was just the turning down, you know, opportunities that, that was yeah. getting to them and, they, they just said, you know what, we want to keep doing it. And, and it's like, well, all right, well, what can I do about it? I don't really have a choice, right? Yeah. So I never wanted to, I, I've never missed a beat. I mean, I've, I've always had, whatever time I had available has always been t- to music since I graduated high school. And that's 30 something years. So starting Poli, were they, did they kind of do what they said they were going to do? Were they the initial guys in the band? Cause I know that, you know, early lineups included Jordan from strung out who shout out to Jordan. He listens to the show all the time. And, uh, like Jim Cherry and Matt Riddle, like were those guys, the initial lineup or were your old band kind of the initial lineup? Uh, well, I kind of laughed at the thought of those guys wanting to be the band. I was like, that's a joke. I'm going to, I'm going to actually go join a band with a bunch of friends. So yeah, yeah. Jordan, Jordan, was was kicked out of ten foot pole before it became ten foot pole. He recorded on the record, but he was kicked out somewhere in that process, or asked to leave, replaced, whatever you want to, however you want to word it. So he was the first phone call I made. I said, I was like, "Hey man, I want to start a band, and I want it to be fun, and I don't want any pressure, any bullshit. Just want it to be fun, make music, bunch of guys having fun, and and, and sound good live." And so he was in. He was playing actually in Strung Out at the time. Uh, another. Another buddy of mine, this guy Mike, who had been in and out of Scared Straight over the years, guy I went to high school with, um, a guitar player. And then, uh, <clears throat> you know, Jim was like a, another local guy that, that uh, you know, that I knew. And, and uh, he suggested Matt, who basically just left face to face. So it kind of all just happened all at the same time. You know? I mean, when you look back at it now, maybe it wasn't that way back then, but that's, that's like a super group lineup, man. It's insane. <laughs> 
Yeah, looking back, I mean, it was it was cool, man. It was especially when Matt got in the band. Uh, he was like the only guy that we really didn't have much other than being on you know touring with him and playing gigs with him. Didn't really have any familiarity of knowing him. So to get into like a rehearsal room and start jamming with this guy who who had had some success in face to face, he brought like this level of you know let's let's step up our game kind of kind of thing. And yeah. and uh, he definitely made it made us better and and. Uh, and help the songwriting process you know elevate it was cool it was a good time man that first that first that first uh go around this i mean i think we jammed for two weeks played some shows with Lagwagon, recorded a record a couple weeks later and and that was it <laughs> that's awesome man it just, and it that just, that yeah. de- that debut record a steam driven engine came out in 1996 uh did you guys just I mean, like you said, you know, you're, you're doing the baseball stuff, but any time that you had available, you guys were just on the road. Is that how it went? Um, as far as touring, yeah. Recording would usually be, uh, I mean, I was lucky enough to be playing with the Dodgers at the time. So, so like I would go in the morning and sing a song at like from 10 to one then I'd go to the field. And then after the game, I'd go back to the studio and bust out another song at night. That's kind of how my recording process went. Yeah. Um, as soon as the season was over, yeah, we. I think we went to Europe, Canada. We did a, a West Coast swing. So yeah, it's always it's always been you know October through February has kind of been the tour tour season or playing live. So, do you have any favorite places outside of the states that you've played? Like any places that you just can't wait to get back to, like over in Europe or South America or anywhere? Yeah, I mean, love Europe, love Canada, love South America. Had a great time in Australia and Japan. I mean. Love the states too, but we we seem to have made more of an investment in 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 Europe. Seemed to be the, the spot that we really spent a lot of our time. That was almost like an annual thing. Yeah. Um, and then we we kind of had to pick and choose between all the other stuff because I mean I'd, I'd be on tour for eight months a year yeah. basically. Yeah. And then uh and then come home and maybe get a couple weeks off and then we'd go out and do a two week thing or a three week thing. Come home do some local shows. So the stuff in the states just. I guess it just depended on what was offered and, 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 and how it fell into place. But Europe's definitely uh, like a second home for sure. So any, any uh, crazy stories that you can tell me about being on tour back in the early days? I mean, well, you know, I mean, there's always <laughs> crazy stories, <laughs> um, you know, nothing out of hand or anything, yeah. but uh, you know, always good stories. Um, I know one year we, uh, we were somewhere in Munich or Munich area, like in the, somewhere in Bavaria and we had this this is a dumb story but we we had this crazy idea we were going to uh we were going to drive off the side of the road and we were going to go into like the snow we were driving a van with a trailer and yeah so we're you know we're kind of booting on this road kind of this country road and I mean it's all snow and we stop and we stop under this tree so so we're going to start shaking the tree to pretend there's like this it's like right when video cameras came out. So someone, someone in the band had a video camera. And like, well, we're going to pretend we're in this big, huge snowstorm and we're driving. And, <laughs> and um, as we're shaking the tree or someone was shaking the tree, we're all laughing in the van. And, and we just felt the van sink. And we, had, we were on top of like a little creek or something. So, so we were stuck. And we get out of the van. We're just all laughing. We're not going to make it to the show. Yeah. And out of, out of nowhere, out of nowhere comes this old German man in a tractor coming from around the corner what he was doing out there i have no idea and he uh this guy tows us out of the snow out of wow. the frozen yeah out of this frozen little lake bed or creek whatever it was we sunk into and uh 
That was pretty good. That's like how's that's my rated G story. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, dude, we're you know, not we're but, not on the radio. If you've got anything that's rated a little bit crazier, you can go ahead and tell it, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can. I'm sure you, anybody can imagine what goes on on tour. You know, it's oh like, yeah, there's always there's always crazy shit. It's, well, I mean, it's a I good time. I don't mean to keep going back to the baseball thing, but I just have this thing in my head of where you know, baseball players make a good living and, and you're probably hanging out with your friends on the baseball diamond and, and, you know, like, Hey man, what'd you do over the break? Oh, I went to Bavaria and slept in the van and, and got pulled out by a tractor. <laughs> I, was, yeah, that, was there a lot that, of talking about that with like your baseball guys too? Like, did they kind of understand what you were doing? Cause I mean, so many people that I know I'd come home from a tour and they thought it was Motley Crue. And I'm like, ah, it's not Motley Crue, man. We were like eating ramen noodles at the truck stop, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, hanging out for a couple hours, waiting for the phone to ring in the bullpen. Obviously you become a little tighter with a lot of the relief pitchers and, yeah. and, uh, they were always intrigued by what was going on. They, I don't know if they ever quite got it because there's no way that, you know, you, you go for three nights in Cincinnati, you're staying at the Marriott, everybody's got their own room, and then we're going to Colorado, we're staying at the Westin for another three nights. They just don't relate to sleeping on the floor in a squat. <laughs> yeah, and, right. And, you know, they, they don't, they, there, was, there was just no way to explain that to them. I would tell them, but I don't know if they ever really got it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they would always be interested. And, and, of course, you know, I'd have great stories to, to share with them because, because of the experience, but, you know, all they were doing was going home and, you know, living the, the, the life of hunting and fishing or whatever they did all winter, you know, not to knock, not to knock what they did, but it was just completely two different lifestyles. And I wouldn't trade it in for the world. It was, it's, that's who, I mean, sleeping on floors, it's not like what I want to do every night, but it's definitely who I am. And and it's, it's, it's comfortable for me. I, I feel, I feel like I can be me. Yeah. And I'm, we talk about it on this podcast, almost every guest I've had, like whenever, you know, Hey, tell me a tour story. Everybody always gets put on the spot, but it's like the, the greatest stories happen before you really make any money. <laughs> like when you are sleeping on floors and, and you are doing like the crazy stuff when it, you know, when you have some success, it seems like tour just becomes groundhog day. But back in the day, it was a little bit more challenging. So yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. Yeah. So, uh, I know that you guys, you guys did a lot of stuff with Epitaph and then after a while you guys put out some stuff on your own label, X members, what, what led to the decision to start doing things a little bit more DIY as far as your own label? I think after, uh, our fifth record with Epitaph, we, uh, you know, we, we had a record ready to go, but as a label, they were kind of heading into a different direction. I think they, you know, they had Pennywise, they had Melancholin and, I don't even, I don't, I, I think Ransom was, I don't know if they were on that label or if I'm an anti or whatever their subsidiaries were, but they were kind of going a different direction with a lot of the bands they were signing. And it, it, it was like, yeah, well, we'll put a record out, but so it was kind of a mutual thing. And, and we had some interest, you know, where, well, God, if we just record this record and put up, you know, a few thousand dollars, we're going to go sell it digitally anyway because yeah. nobody's buying records in the stores. The record stores were closing. So we really didn't need like the physical distribution because there was no, there was no demand for it. And you guys have the back catalog and the kind of the fans that have been with you for so long that, 
yeah, a label might promote you a little bit better, but people are going to buy your record regardless, or at least download it. You know, we we were definitely fortunate in that sense that we had already kind of had a, a relatively established name and somewhat of a name in that in that particular scene. Yeah, um, and we weren't looking for tour support. We weren't looking for you know uh, to, to we weren't we didn't have all this shit, you know plans to go on the road, so we didn't really need it. And uh, you know, not that because. For us, it's never been about money, and I, I don't, I, I wouldn't be ashamed if we made money. But yeah, um, we we made more money putting the record out ourselves than we probably did on five records together on Epitaph. Yeah, I can see you know? that. Yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, and and so then when it was the chance came to do it again, and I think we had some people like in Canada that were making some physical copies, and some people in Europe that were doing some stuff. But you know, we just there was no place to sell a record anymore or a CD, so. We just went for it, and, and uh, it worked out, you know? So in, in 2016, though, you guys signed to Hefe, El Hefe's uh, label, Cybertracks. What led you to that decision if things worked out so well with ex-members? Um, well, it just took a lot of it – lo- it's a lot of work, you know, to stay on top of doing your own thing and, yeah. um, you know, all the follow-up and, and, and dealing with however many hundred of media outlets there were and, – we had this company we were working with that kind of helped help that, but you know, Hefe, Aaron being a friend and, and his wife, Jen, um, you know, they were, they would come to shows. They were actually genuinely into the band. Um, you know, Jen's been a fan for a long time and she grew up locally around here and she'd come and support and, and, and it just seemed like, well, why wouldn't we? Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, it, the way they all, all they basically did was, you know, put up some money to record, but, but, you know, once they recoup it, it's like, well, they didn't, they don't take anything. They're not like a, I mean, they're a record label, but they're not a real record label. That's greedy and has, we never signed a contract. Wow. It was just, we never even shook hands. It was just like, yeah, we're going to do this record. And she was like, yeah, hell yeah. I want to put it out. And, um, we went in the studio and we recorded and they sent the bill to them and, and uh, they still came to gigs, and they were hanging out with us. And then we started getting checks. So we assumed, like, oh, cool, they got their <laughs> money back. You know, the expectations weren't really. We yeah. didn't have super high expectations. It was very convenient for us, and it was it was it was uh, it was good. We we wanted to be on that label. We wanted to be a part of what they were doing because we supported it. So, what's the songwriting process like for you guys? I mean, do do you still play drums, or do you play guitar, or anything, or? Or do you just kind of come in after the fact? Like, how do you guys put a song together? Well, I think it varies from song to song, but if I had to say 85, 90% of it is me and our guitar player, Mike. I still play drums, and I, st- I play guitar, and I write. Me and Mike will, will come up with riffs, and we'll go to our rehearsal room, the two of us, and I'll play drums, and he'll play guitar, and we'll we'll just basically knock it out. We'll come up with parts, we'll... we'll kind of construct a, a song basically, you know, and, and figure it out. And then, uh, and it's, you know, 99% done and we bring it to the band and, and uh, we write a lot around vocals and we're very conscious of, you know, how we're writing things. And, and uh, Mike's got a, a, mu- a musical influence. I'm thinking vocally, I'm, I'm, I'm playing drum parts. Um, you know, my style is like this RKL kind of style of playing yeah. drums and, and, and uh, 
and uh, you know, I'm not very good, but it's good enough for us to, 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 to whack out a song. Yeah. And then we bring, we bring it to the band and then, uh, you know, our guitar player, other guitar player, Jim, will you know, come up with a second part. Tyler throws the bass onto it and, and it just becomes a song. And, and, and I've already got the vocals in mind as we've been writing it. So, so that part's easy. You know, I already kind of have the melody and, and it's just a matter of whether if I didn't have words to it, just putting words to it, but I already kind of know how it's structured. Yeah. And, um, it's it's a lot easier being um, for me. I, I I find it more challenging when someone else writes a song and then they come and they bring a song and, and it's like I'll ask, well, what do you hear? How do you hear the vocals? Well, I don't know. It's easy to sing over. But how do you, how do you? But how do you hear it? Because for me, I, it's totally different than what maybe they hear, and, and, yeah. and I don't. I'm not feeling it. So it it always helps when someone someone if someone does have a song and, and they can kind of give me an idea of where the vocals are going directionally and and I can kind of put my twist onto it but uh i'd say for 99 90 95 of it to, to be a part of the initial songwriting it certainly helps with uh with that last piece that goes on top which is you know which is the singing so it's uh that's kind of how it goes for us so you know starting out as a drummer and getting into punk rock when was the first time you decided that singing was something you wanted to try because the one thing I always loved about Pulley and your vocals, it's it's so melodic. I mean, the the 90s kind of epitaph fat era punk stuff, the vocals are very melodic, but I always thought you had a very unique choice of notes as far as the melody goes. That's what always stuck out to me. So what led you to wanting to sing in a band? Well, first of all, thank you. Yes. That's 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 not by design. That's okay. Limited li- limited to what I can do. Um but I appreciate that. Um, somewhere around 84, maybe earlier, when the Nardcore record came out, the first Nardcore record, I was a drummer. So we went in and tracked the two songs that we put on that record, and the vocals weren't done. And our, our singer at the time, you know, remember, we're still like 10th grade or whatever it was, 15, 16. He, he went on vacation with his family. And... Somebody from Mystic was calling saying, hey, I need you guys to get down here and, and do the vocals on this record because we're, we're going to start mixing it. We need to put it out. So I was like, all right, well, fuck it. I'll go down and sing. <laughs> so I went, I went down and I, and, I, and I screamed on these two songs. And, and uh, when the guy came back, he – I don't remember what – it's been so long, but it wasn't like I stepped in and said, I'm the singer now. It just kind of happened by default. Yeah. And uh, – and so it, it just seemed a lot easier to get a drummer than a singer. And, and I, I was, I liked playing drums, but I wasn't super attached to it. And, and uh, maybe, maybe after going in the vocal booth and singing those two songs or attempting to sing them, I guess it could have went either way. I could have went, that's not for me or oh, that was cool. And, uh, and I liked it. So uh, it's like, well, I'll sing. And, and we, we had a buddy, I think it was just like another one of those convenient factors where we had a, a friend, this buddy of mine, James, that he used to skate with, and he was a drummer. So it was easier for him to just learn our songs than for us to find a, a new singer. Yeah. So this guy went on, this guy went on vacation and by default I became a singer. And that's just kind of what I did from, I think somewhere around 84 on. Wow. That's crazy, man. So you just, you were talking about, yeah. you know, skating a skate buddy. I know uh, that you were into skateboarding pretty hardcore as well. And uh, you actually are co-owner in skate lab, this like skate park that actually houses the kind of the museum of skateboarding hall of fame. How did you get involved in that? We played a gig 
in uh, Pulley played a gig, I want to say it was 95 or 96 in, in Fresno, California at a skate park. And I remember being totally blown away. I mean, I was a skater. I, I'd skated. It was kind of my thing. I, I, um, and I just remember being blown away with this place. And like the concept of it, it was a skate park by day. And then about six o'clock, the guy cleared everybody out and he and turned one of the ramps into a stage and he brought in these lights and the sound guy came in. I just remember watching the whole thing transform going, this is awesome. Got to do this. And, uh, the next day I came home and I was talking to my brother. Um, it's like, man, played this killer place. We gotta, we gotta open a skate park at home. Cause I'd, I'd never really seen anything like it. Um, I know there were some parks in the seventies and outdoor parks and there was a couple of indoor parks, but everything had been shut down, you know, at, at this point. And, and, uh, it's like, this is cool. So, uh, you know, being in a position to be able to put up a few bucks and find a place. Um, that's kind of, that was my way of giving to the city and, and, uh, my contribution. Um, you know, I never really helped build a baseball field or anything, but, uh, that was kind of what I wanted to give back to, to the kids in my town. And that's kind of how it started. Yeah. Um, unfortunately after 21 years, we had to close in January. Oh, I didn't know that, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it was a, uh, it was a labor of love. And, uh, you know, sometimes people take it, people take advantage of things and, and, uh, it was a great thing. It was great for the community. Uh, I felt like the kids in our town lost out on this. You know, we had generations of, of, you know, a couple of decades of kids that, that grew up with this place and, uh, taught a lot of kids how to skateboard and, uh, feel really proud of that and, and proud of being able to have a place that, you know, we, we were able to allow parents to bring their kids and feel safe about it. Um, it was totally a positive environment. Um, you know, the, 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 the worst word in the world is business. And, um, yeah. you know, I, being the, the, the financial backing of the place, I, I was okay with not making money. Uh, and I was okay with losing money, but what I wasn't okay with was, getting taken advantage and advantage of and scammed and, and, and ripped off by. And, you know, there's a lot of people that I took care of a lot of friends of mine that I employed for a long time. And, um, you know, they just, people, they just I guess you get into a position where you can't help dipping your hands in the pocket. And, and, uh, I, I knew there was things going on over the years, but it just got to a point where I just had enough of it. The headache just wasn't yeah. worth it, worth, worth it anymore. And like, this, you guys are ruining it, man. And it, and it was, I got stuck with a pretty large bill. I'll just leave it at that. But it was a great. I, I'm totally stoked that I was able to be a part of that and and make that happen because I think it was one of the best things that ever happened in our town ever. How did the the deal with the Skateboarding Hall of Fame come about? Where they actually like put their stuff in there? How did that happen? Um, one of the guys that was part of uh, part of the Skate Lab in the beginning had a had a collection and. Uh, you know, we had claimed a hall of fame, but it was really not a hall of fame until about 10 years after we opened. I think we applied, you know, uh, copyrighted the name and applied for like a, a nonprofit like status so we could have a museum and whatnot. Yeah. And, and, uh, so it just kind of happened, uh, over the years. Um, and it was created by us and, and then, uh, yeah, that's kind of how it happened. It was just kind of just evolved over the years and, you know, I don't know if the skating world really took it seriously in the beginning, but I think after a while they saw our commitment and, and, and started to show their support. And, 
and it, and, it, and it's slowly starting to grow. I think there's still, uh, you know, a lot more growth to be done with it, and and maybe there'll be a, a permanent home for it somewhere. Uh, you know, maybe in a in a cool city like Santa Monica or Venice or somewhere where it like you know it, it kind of started. Yeah. Um, that would kind of I think make it legit in a lot of people, a lot of the skating industry's eyes. I don't know if they they really look look to a, a you know a retail place in Simi Valley and say yeah skateboarding hall of fame. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know it is what it is, and and no one else did it, so that's where it's at right now. But like I said, I, I think down the road, uh, you know, if it continues, it, I certainly think that there's uh, there's more room, room room to grow. What were some of your uh, favorite skaters growing up that kind of got you into skateboarding? Uh, all the Sims, Tony Alva, um, Jay Adams, you know, a lot of the guys that you'd see like in that Dogtown movie, yeah. a lot of the late, late 70s skaters. Um, you know, when I started skating in the, in the eighties, it was, it was all about Tony Alva and, you know, and, and, uh, Bruce, you know, and the Sims and, 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 uh, Logan, you know, Logan's Logan Erski, Bruce Logan, um, that, that's kind of all the, the, the skaters that I looked up to. Were you ever worried about uh, like breaking your arm or something and not being able to play baseball since you were skating? <laughs> I wouldn't say I was worried about it, but I, I, I definitely got good at realizing what my limits were. And, and I, was, I, I like to claim that I was one of the best skaters that never fell. You know, <laughs> okay. I, just, I just didn't push beyond a certain – I wasn't stupid, you know? And, yeah. When I was little, I was going for it. I didn't, I didn't, I was careless. Um, but you know, once I kind of got to the big leagues and, and, and I, I was more like cruising the longboard with the dog and the leash riding around the neighborhood. Um, you know, I'll still hop, I could hop on a board and, and, you know, do a few kick turns and, and, and cruise around, but definitely not, uh, anything stupid. <laughs> cool, man. Well, Hey, I have some, uh, listener questions if you wouldn't mind answering. Is that cool? Absolutely. Okay. Well, Russ in Georgia, he said, if you would have been a position player rather than a relief pitcher, what song would you have chosen for your at-bat music? Ooh, um, that's a good question. <laughs> you can probably pick a couple if you want. You, you can, yeah. You could rotate um, them in and out. I mean, I could see walking the plate to any Ramon song. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just to be uh, stadium friendly. And a lot of that stuff has to sometimes pass the PR guy before they'll play at the stadium. Um you know, I, I want to come out to a to an adolescent song or something, and they're like, "Hey, you know, I was listening to the words on that song, and I don't, I don't necessarily think because you know, running in from the bullpen, I would get a lot longer play than anybody walking from the dugout to home plate." Yeah, but uh, yeah, something angry, something angry, and but how and, cool and, would that have been if you would have been like the punk rock baseball guy and went out to bat with an adolescent song? I think that uh, sounds really cool. Yeah, it would have been cool, man. Yeah. It would have been really cool. I mean, I tried to do it as a pitcher, like I said, but. I got turned down on a lot of a lot of songs I tried to throw out there. And then I just got to the point where I said, I'm done with it. <laughs> cool, man. Well, uh, Russ, thanks for your question. I've got one more listener question. Zach from New York, he's got a two-part question. He says, have any baseball teammates ever attended a pulley show? And his second part of his question is, did you and Mark McGuire ever hang out after games? Um, well, I'll answer the, fir- the second one first. Um, I never hung out with Mark McGuire after a game. Um, super okay. nice guy. He was a cool teammate, but we just didn't hang out. And Dave Hansen, uh, who held the pinch hitter record, guy who was with the Dodgers for a long time, 
um, local guy from Long Beach. Uh, he's attended quite a few pulley gigs. Um, he's a guitar player as well. Super big punk rock fan. He's come to the studio with me a few times when I've been recording, you know, sat in the booth just while I'm singing. Um, but a huge supporter and totally into it. Um, when I met him, when I got to the Dodgers, um, he was totally into like TSOL and, and all these bands. And, and for me, that was just a shock because I had been in baseball for 10 years and I had never met anybody up to that point. Not one single person that knew anything about it. Wow. And like, here's, here's this guy that's like, you know, reciting, you know, uh, superficial love, you know, s- shit like this. And I'm like, well, this is cool, man. <laughs> um, and, and we're singing code blue together during batting practice. So yeah, I mean, Dave Hansen. That, okay. That's cool. Big man. time supporter. Yeah. So, uh, we're getting close to the end of the podcast. I have a question. If you, you know, I know that you've been into punk rock your whole life. What are you listening to currently? Are there any new bands or, or you are you like me and you just listen to stuff you listened to 20 years ago? <laughs> Well, recently, as in like the last 48 hours, um, we, we played a gig in Spain with this band called uh, Baboon Show. They're from Sweden. Okay. Crazy name, crazy name, but unbelievable band, just insane band. Uh, this girl singer, she just had a baby two months ago, and her baby was on the side of the stage with like this nanny. It was crazy, but totally took control of the crowd. Their music was totally driving. Um, definitely like a like a punk kind of band um super cool man super cool people from sweden um ripping music uh, blew me away live so I, I started like youtubing it and checking it out and i've been listening to that the last couple of days um other than that um you know all the normal shit i i, I haven't really gotten into a lot of new music yeah. seems like a lot of the a lot of my friends that put out a record i'll i'll, I'll give it a listen to or so but new music not a whole lot have you heard that new Good Riddance record? Because it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I've I've heard it and, and and I like it a lot. And 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 I always support like like I said, like friends that have been putting out records for a long time, put out a new record. Yeah. And I'm sure they feel the same way about us. It's like it's just another good riddance record. I, I love it. It's great. And and knowing the guys and, and having a relationship and friendship with them makes you like it that much more. You know, and and and, and when you see a band live, of course, you always you always seem to appreciate their music that much more you know um yeah it's good so uh what's in the future for poly do you guys have any i know you guys just got back from europe but are there any plans for a new record or any more touring plans for the year we've got uh you know we've got definitely have some songs we wrote before we left um i think me and mike have like five or six songs down um and uh as far as touring we we have uh we have some things out there that might happen um possibilities not sure yet um but we have local stuff we have uh we have like one-offs in chicago denver things like that um you know on the books going forward but uh no major tours lined up or anything at at the moment now cool well uh do you want to do you have your own socials i know the band has some socials do you want to give out some links so people can check out the band is there like a website or, or anything like that you know, I'm, I'm kind of behind the times on that. And, and <laughs> okay. I, I'm, I, I just don't have any social media. Well, I'm not even a part of it. Well, I'll find all the band stuff and put it in the show notes so people can check it out. Yeah, cool. But hey, man, I just want to thank you so much for being on the show today. Like I said, it's an honor. I've been listening to Pulley since I was like a sophomore in high school. Not, not to make you feel older or anything, but I, I love the band. It's, it's a wonderful band. 
appreciate that, Chris. Really do, man. And and I am old, so. <laughs> well, I think you were born in when I was looking at it, sixty-eight, right? Yeah. You're only you're only ten years older than me, so we're we're in the same ballpark. There, there's a pun for you. The same ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, hey, man, thank you so much for being on the show today. And uh, I'd love to have you back in the future for a part two, maybe when you guys have a new record come out. Absolutely. Anytime. And uh, appreciate your time. Appreciate you having me on. And and uh, I hope everybody that's listening uh, keeps supporting you, man, because it's, it's, all, it's all good. It's all good cause. Dude, I, I appreciate that. This podcast was, you know, I stopped touring a while back because I had some, I had a couple kids and I just didn't really know if I could do it, you know, and this is kind of my way back into the scene and people have been really great about coming on the show, like friends and even people that I didn't know. So it means a lot to me that you enjoy what I'm doing and thank you for the support, man. Absolutely. You made a new fan for sure. (laughs) Thanks, man. I'll talk to you soon. Have a great night, man. All right. See you, man. Thanks. So there it was, my conversation with Mr. Scott Radinsky from Poli, Major League Baseball, so much cool stuff, man. I just, I had a blast speaking with Scott and hope to have him back on the show in the future, especially if Pulley has a new record coming out. And uh, I don't, if you guys don't know who Pulley is, you're missing out. I remember hearing them on that first Punkarama record and just going crazy, man. And 10 foot pole as well. So uh, that's it, man. That's the episode. I loved it. I hope you guys loved it as well. Please check out my sponsors, Squirrel Tap, Merge 4, and Permanence Tattoo Gallery. Uh, Sign up at the Patreon if you want to help out the show. You can also win some cool stuff from Merge 4. And some of our other sponsors, head on over to patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast. If you have a band or a company and you want to get in touch and become a sponsor, T-O-T-O-T podcast at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on all of the social media platforms at T-O-T-O-T podcast. If you want to call and leave me, you know, a message, maybe it'll be get played on the show. Call the hotline. It is 1-765-372-8818. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us gain visibility. And uh, lately we've been gaining a lot of visibility. So help us out. Let's do it, man. Help us grow this thing. And it's going to be awesome. So next week on the show, we have a little bit of a different thing. We have Grant Emerson, bass player for the kind of goth country pop band Delta Ray. They've been making some waves here lately. They did a crowdfunding Kickstarter for their new record, and their their goal was $30,000, and they almost got half a million dollars. And the reason that that happened was that... uh that whole like scooter Braun or whatever his name is and Taylor Swift feud where that guy like bought her masters and she was upset and blah, 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 blah. Somehow they got brought into that and cause they were a part of the label that he had or she, I don't remember the logistics of it, but for some reason Taylor Swift's army of millions of fans started to retweet and share Delta Ray's, post about their crowdfunding thing for their new record. And it went crazy. It was like the fifth most funded Kickstarter in the history of the website. So we talk about all of that. We talk about, you know, his roots and how he's playing in kind of this country band, but he also likes punk and he likes metal and he likes all this stuff. He actually hit me up as a fan of the show and then wanted to come on. So Grant, thank you very much. That is next week. Come back and check out Grant Emerson, bass player for the awesome band Delta Ray. 
But I'm going to get out of here, guys, and I'm going to do what I always do. I'm going to play some music from our guest. Now, I love Poland. I love all their records. I wanted to play something some of you might not have heard. This came out in 2004 on the Poly Matters record. And uh, this song is called Insects Destroy. This has a really cool kind of, I don't know, when I listen to this, I, I, I feel like little pinches of bad religion and little pinches of Pennywise, and, but all put together in a really cool, different way that only Pulley could do. And Scott's vocals are so unique. They're so melodic and cool. And uh, this is one of my favorite Pulley songs, Insects Destroy. See you guys next week. Chris, out.
Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.